Welcome back to the Educational AD Podcast brought to you by Violet Defense. Violet Defense is dedicated to protecting our world from germs by bringing the power of UV disinfection to everyday spaces. Their patented technology enables them to harness the power of the sun to incorporate ultraviolet light into products and environments like never before. Whether you're ready to implement existing products or if you'd like to explore researching and developing a custom deployment of their technology for your school, Violet Defense has the solutions and the experience you need. Thanks again to Violet Defense for sponsoring the Educational AD Podcast. The Educational AD also wants to thank Varsity Brands featuring BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Hearth Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. The Educational AD podcast also wants to thank Hometown Ticketing, who helps thousands of schools across the country seamlessly provide convenient digital ticketing options for their communities, families, and fans. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. The Educational AD podcast also wants to thank Gipper, Vital Signs, Camp Mobile, and Ephesus Lighting for being a sponsor of our podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Today, we have a really special guest, uh, Joanne P. McCallie, uh, also known as Coach P, uh, joins us. Uh, if you don't know her background, I'm going to share a little bit with you. Uh, she's a longtime NCAA head coach uh, at Maine, Michigan State, and also at Duke. Uh, she coached her teams to 628 Division I victories during a 28-year head coaching career. She's the only coach in Division I history to win Coach of the Year in four different conferences, and she was a national coach of the year, NCAA coach of the year, uh, while she was at Michigan State. Uh, along the way, you know, she uh, coached in a Final Four. She coached for the national championship and also won a world championship with the uh, U.S. under-21 women's team. Uh, she is now a very successful author and speaker. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about her newest book, uh, Secret Warrior, uh, a coach, get that in the camera here, <laughs> a coach and a fighter on and off the court. Uh, coach P, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Jake. I, I appreciate it. Great to be here. Well, we're excited to, uh, you know, share with our audience uh, just a little bit about uh, your career and, and some of the things you're doing now, um, you know, post-coaching career. So we always like to let our listeners have a chance to, to get to know our guests. So uh, share a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you went to school and college, and, and maybe how your, your coaching path led you to uh, you know, where we're at today. Sure. Um, I grew up in the great state of Maine and was recruited from Maine to many great schools. Um, final two schools were Northwestern and Duke. And I chose Northwestern barely because I love both schools so much. So it's been a real treat uh, to have gone full circle and come back and coach at Duke. 
I, a uh, little bit coached by accident after Northwestern, I worked in downtown Chicago, decided to get my MBA and looked at both Auburn and Vanderbilt at the time. And I really wanted to see what a final four program was all about. And without ever seeing Auburn, Alabama, which is quite different than Chicago, I uh, took the job based on the head coach and the person and the leadership of the program. Uh, they had been to a final four and national title. And I call myself a coach by accident because I went down there to get my MBA to, turn, to go back to corporate America. And the first year I was convinced that I was going to do that because I felt coaching was so intense and you know it was 24 seven kind of deal. But in my second year there, I, I got bitten by the bug of coaching and really, really enjoyed it. And, and seeing the development and impact you could have on lives and realizing that it was a lifestyle choice and becoming a head coach at 26 at Maine and having great lessons at Maine, especially with mental health impairment relative to my diagnosis. I really cleaned that up, learned how to cope, had a great uh, team and staff that were behind me um, at Maine. And then that kind of catapulted me. You know, we beat Stanford in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that was a big deal at Maine to do that. Won a bunch of championships. And um, my family and I were lucky to be recruited to Michigan State. Had a great seven year run there. Um, gosh, in five years going to a national championship game and a lot of support there. And then went to Duke. Again, a lot of support there. Great program, a different challenge with all the success that Duke had had prior. And so that was unique and special to, to try to do an amazing thing at Duke and win a national title. Uh, we never did that. We went to four straight elite eights. We did some other things, um, but it was fun trying and then stepped away a year ago, July 1st uh, to pursue being an author. And I still think I'm a better coach than I am an author um, as we speak. Uh, no, just uh, again, we'll get to the book, which uh, you can see over uh, Coach P's shoulder, Their Secret War. Just a great, great read. Um, uh, I'm going to ask you to, to maybe talk about one quick comment first. Uh, you mentioned while you're Michigan State that you, um, you, know, you were able to take the team to the Final Four. Um, and kind of a worst to, you know, first in the conference um, experience. But uh, you bumped shoulders with uh, Dean Smith. Uh, at the final four and uh, share that uh, little comment that he made to you. Well, uh, Coach Smith was amazing. And obviously I knew of him and I met him on a Nike trip. So it was post final four. It was in um, Whistler, British Columbia. And we had gone up gondolas where all the coaches were going for dinner. And he loved uh, talking to my husband. The first thing that he did was, was drawn to us because my husband's brother was a Moorhead scholar at Carolina. And so he immediately liked the Macaulay thing. And so we were talking and he was just so, so wonderful in sharing with me. I was kind of down about not winning the national championship. And he made a joke and he said, you know, my first final four, uh, we lost in the you know, first game of semi. And he said, I guess that puts you ahead of me. And I mean, obviously, Obviously, that was an overwhelming thing, and he was making me feel better, and he did. Um, but it, he made that, you know, that night was a much happier night as I processed what it was like to go there and also not quite get over the, to the top of the mountain. 
but Coach Smith is, um, he's really special. And, and we, we have a note he wrote us as well. And anyway, you know, he's just the late great, you know, one of the goats of all, you know, one of the special goats that we have in basketball. Oh, absolutely. Um, that kind of takes me into, you know, my next uh, question for you. As, as I was reading the book, and again, I was a longtime coach, you know, longtime AD, certainly not at your level, but um, for me, uh, reading the, the stories that you shared about your players and the assistant coaches and, uh, and your family members, um, just for me, it was just an overriding theme of loyalty uh, and how that plays out. And that kind of leads me into this next question. Uh, in our profession, you always, we always talk about the importance of uh, leadership and, and particularly mentorship. So could you share a little bit, uh, who are some of the mentors that you've had in your life, maybe family members or, or maybe people that you've worked with or worked for? Um, anybody yeah. come to mind? Oh, oh, many, many. I was very fortunate. Of course, your mother and father offer great mentorship. And that's kind of, you know, obvious. But I had a junior high coach, uh, the late Alan Grafham, take an interest in me and some of my um, teammates in a way that was beyond special, opening the gym for us taking us to games, to scout opponents, you know, doing all those nice things that, that a coach can do by choice um, if they want to. So really, really teaching me how to shoot and, and do special things. And then I went to a head coach um, at the high school, another great coach, Fred Kerber. And Fred, Coach K, my first Coach K, uh, was just an incredible coach. And we did amazing things in pursuing a state championship and all of that. And then as I went to college, you know, I, I found my way through Northwestern, but when I hit the coaching world, I found that mentorship comes in a lot of ways and observation is part of it, as well as knowing people is part of it too. So whether it was Joe Champy, Sue Gunter at LSU, the late Sue Gunter, the late Pat Summit, I mean, greatest of all time, really. And, and she was a reference for me to get the main job. And Tara Vanderveer recently, you know, Stanford won a national title. I was able to work alongside of her and learn from her at USA Basketball. So there's been a variety of people I've really paid attention to, not to mention Tom Izzo, working alongside of him at Michigan State, and of course, Mike, Coach K at Duke, working alongside two Hall of Famers and Tom and Mike, and, and that added a great deal of mentorship as well. And it, again, just reading the book, you're just making those stories come back to me. Uh, uh, very cool stuff. Um, let's go ahead and jump into, if we can, uh, your current book, Secret Warrior. Um, sort of set up for our listeners, um, you know, what it's about, and then, um, you know, we'll maybe take a, a little bit of a dive into it. Sure. Um, Secret Warrior is my own personal story um, with my, particularly my main team and my family, of course, and being diagnosed with manic depressive disorder, also known as bipolar disorder, and dealing with that and two episodes that occurred while I coached at the University of Maine. And the loyalty factor comes in where the student athletes actually keep administration out, demand that they leave me alone per se, and that parents are kept at bay while I coped with my situation and then came back and we won a bunch of championships and did all this great stuff, even in the year that I needed to take two weeks off. And, and then a couple of years later, I had an episode where I didn't take time off. I just had to cope with it. 
Um, but I was, at the time, exhaustion was the word used a lot with the student athletes because 25 years ago, a mental health was not something you spoke about or mental health impairment. Um, so the book is kind of written to come full circle and to really answer some questions to those main teams in particular. Yeah. Uh, again, just uh, the stories that you share uh, very personal stories, uh, yourself, your family, and, and like I said, your players and your assistants, just a great, great reading. Um, uh, one of your anecdotes that you shared, uh, you were in a recruit's home and um, uh, the father made a comment, I, I think just came out and point blank asked you, you know, coach, uh, are you bipolar? And uh, you remember your response? I do. And I, at the time I was sort of caught off guard by the forward nature, but sort of appreciating it too. But I responded, responded with, aren't we all bipolar, especially coaches? And so I didn't give him a straight answer. And I think it's important to make a distinction that I you know, suffer from bipolar disorder or manic depression, um, but I am not that. I'm not bipolar in the sense of it doesn't define me and who I am like high blood pressure or any other uh, affliction, it's part of who you are. It obviously has to do with brain health, um, but I, I look at it that way, is that that's just what I have and other people have many other afflictions. Yeah, uh, I, as you were saying that, I remember uh, as a much, uh, let's say 20 some years ago myself, I was still coaching football, uh, and um, our kids who are all athletes, et cetera, you know, they would make a throwaway comment about, you know, dad's bipolar, his football coach uh, personality, and then, you know, his personality at home. But again, you're absolutely right. You know, 20, 25 years ago, and even now, uh, it, it's just isn't discussed as it should be. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, let's jump back into the, let's say the coaching world. One of the things we try to do with the podcast is this idea of share best practices. And as a coach at a very high level, um, you know, you've probably seen some, uh, some good practices and some maybe not so good practices. So what are some things that you've seen uh, at the schools you've coached at uh, that you could pass on to our listeners as a really good best practice for a team, a coach, or a program? Well, I think one of the things I miss dearly and will miss is practice, uh, practice prep, you know, practices are like games to us coaches as we feel a need to be very efficient and to get through all the things we need to get through. And one of my fond memories was picking up a practice plan from Coach K after his practice and recognizing that we did a similar thing, which is we hand wrote them, number one, and every minute was clocked. And it was very precise and efficient. And I think that you know, in preparing for others, you have to practice the way you're going to play. And I was a big proponent of efficiency of how to write a practice with no generalities, you know, not to mention the thought for the day and how are we gonna use philosophy to better us in that day. But then again, the entire practice and, you know, from there, I, you know, programs are the energy you put into them and then also the energy you give others and that you allow to give you. And so it's gotta be a two-way street. So delegation was something I was pretty good at in, in delegating uh, situations and challenging people to, to meet uh, the expectations. So 
I think delegating, not to mention personal um, relationships, especially now, more one-on-one -on -one is needed than ever. And then of course you've got the one-on-one -on -one motivation and then you've got the team motivation and those can be different types of things as you work through your development of team. And uh, those are just a couple of thoughts I have, uh, but I love practices and I love that feeling of being completely absorbed, you know, for two hours, two and a half hours, whatever it was that you didn't think of anything else, but just was right in front of you. And that's a great feeling and, and something I miss. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I love the fact that you mentioned the attention to detail that you put uh, and coach Kate, you know, put into your practice plans. Uh, I wish that was a, a lesson I had picked up uh, earlier in my coaching career that, you know, I try now to share with, with the coaches at uh, the schools where I'm at, but just so very important, you know, practice is the key. Um, in your book, you, you talked about um, the gentleman that helped you at uh, Duke along with uh, the idea of uh, the mental health of your athletes that worked in collaboration with you um, for each athlete. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and how that you feel that affected the success of your program? Yes, I think that was at Michigan State actually. And that was one of the catalysts that drove us to the national championship in five years. And all it was was a collective nature of individuals uh, that I had hired or had that could offer different things. And sports psychology is a critical element in you know, changing the perceptions of people, the negative feelings people have about their environment or themselves and trying to spin that uh, to be positive and collectively work together. I don't think uh, sports psychiatry and psychology is connected as well as it should be at all institutions. When, it, when I look back at it, there's a lot of, um, you know, therapy that's coming at, at when there's a dire need, right? The dire need, you know, the emergency situation. Well, a lot of those emergencies could be somewhat um, prevented if there was more interaction between a head coach and good, good uh, mental health practices and backup. And then of course, the, the assistant coaches and everyone else that runs the program. And so I find it unique. And I've I've read Nick Saban's books. I'm a big Nick Saban advocate. Um, I've been to, you know, to, um, to see him for a day. I'm the only female actually to go watch him in action for a day. I shadowed him and that was an incredible experience. Um, but if you read his books, he has a lot to say about philosophy, psych psychology and how he uses it. And one of I think his best books, um, not to promote his books because they probably don't need it. <laughs> but is the one where he is actually has the LSU t-shirt LSU shirt on and a football under his arm. And I think it's like, how good do you want to be or something like that? But within that, there's a lot of sports psychology. And so I am a person who kind of studies human action and know there's a way to motivate. There's a way to motivate one person versus another and privately and within a team component. So yeah, I talk about that in the book, and I think that story in the book is really, really can be really helpful to coaches. It's not just a mental health journey, but it's a success journey of getting things done and having people around that could add to the equation. No, absolutely, and and I loved how you explained he met with um, you know your players individually, and that 
you know, there were different uh, suggestions to you as a coach that you would put into play with this individual that you would do a slightly different approach with another player based on their, their personality and their needs. So just really drove home the point of, you know, getting the most out of uh, every player. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's hard work. And if you can do it with collaboration, you know, obviously people have to know the coach. I had this director of basketball operations, Nate, just a fabulous person. Um, and the way he connected, he, Nate's older than I am. And I often had older people on staff to bring more maturity to the equation. And the way he know, knew the women was different than the way I knew the women. So getting his thoughts was critical. And he was as important as any assistant coach on my staff. And he was the director of basketball operations. So it was by design that I hired somebody who could interface with the team. And he was very much a father figure or mentor person uh, to the team. Another key individual that was part of that run. Yeah, you know, putting that staff together, it's just so critical. Yeah. For our listeners, we are visiting with uh, Joanne P. McCauley, Coach P. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we're coming back. Uh, let's hear from our podcast sponsor, Violet Defense. Violet Defense is dedicated to protecting our world from germs by bringing the power of UV disinfection to everyday spaces. Their patented technology enables them to harness the power of the sun to incorporate ultraviolet light into products and environments like never before. Whether you're ready to implement existing products, or if you'd like to explore researching and developing a custom deployment of their technology for your school and your teams, Violet Defense has the solutions and the experience you need. Thanks again to Violet Defense for sponsoring the Educational AD Podcast. Welcome back to our interview with uh, Joanne P. McCauley. Coach P, um, Coach, uh, going back to your book, um, one of the um, uh, quotes that you mentioned, you talked about with this discussion of um, you know mental health, uh, diseases of despair. And uh, your quote was, with mental health impairment, there's no intention. You're simply ambushed. You cannot defend yourself. Uh, Talk a little bit about that and, and maybe how ADs or coaches can do a better job of, of being aware and, and sensitive to these specific challenges. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And I think that because of the stigmas attached to mental health impairment, the ambush is the disease itself, but also what you anticipate from the outside world, You know what's going to happen. I had to carry my story with me for years uh, before I could write it comfortably without compromising my team and making the focus on me. That's what would have happened if I would have written a story while coaching, uh, not to mention negative recruiting and things like that. So, so it, it's sort of an ambush in that regard. I, I know that people are ambushed by health issues across the board. Uh, mental health impairment's a little different because of the stigmas. And I think if, as administrators, the key is to be proactive and not reactive. And I think there's a lot of reactive behavior. God forbid a young person takes their life and then the whole community is just shaken in a way. And, and I'm not saying you can prevent 
somebody from doing that, but you can certainly create an environment where somebody might think twice about that because there's been discussion or opportunity or there's somewhere to go. And I think the way to do it um, is for athletic directors or anybody is to openly discuss that the physical and mental health are both the, what we're looking at here. And if anybody has a question about mental health that they can privately come and, and a coach is not the expert, but a coach can listen and then provide the opportunity for support and still demand. I mean, it doesn't mean you like stop demanding of people. It helps you coach somebody better if they go ahead and admit that they've got some issues, they think with anxiety or depression. And anyone with those issues should be seeing someone. A coach can find a therapist, help find a therapist, or, or talk to the parents, you know, co collaborate and, and try to come up with something that, that can really help this person and do it quietly. You know, everything is very, uh, the privacy issue is really important. And what I can say is that sometimes I stepped away from really thinking about my parents because I felt so bad about what was happening and so responsible. It's that shame and blame that I would feel better with a coach, better with somebody like that who was once removed, but very close to me and cared enough about me. And so that would be something that I think athletic directors, uh, coaches, you know, can provide. And that's part of my public speaking and all the stuff that I'm doing is being having an author, being proactive with an author who's gone through this and sharing my story. Because then, then it's, it's sort of out there. I, I know that I'm, I'm going to a private school up in uh, Massachusetts where they're hosting me and they're making the investment and the time and the energy for me to talk to the student body about what's going on. And I think the more that happens, you know, Simone Biles, we've seen that with Naomi Osaka, Michael Phelps, the more that happens, the more they'll just realize that you can still be excellent. Remember in the book, we won, we kept winning. That's an undercurrent not to promote ego, but to say, you can do it. It, you know, these issues of di these diagnoses don't equate to failure, you know, and it's how you use them and how you maneuver through them that allows you to be at your best self and to navigate. And if I can do it in coaching, a lot of people, I mean, coaching is hard, as you know, you know, and, and we know that the nature of coaching is, you know, bipolar in itself. Um, if that's what the message sort of is, is, is if, if Coach P can do this, then we can do this and I can be a doctor and I can go to medical school and choose some very difficult careers um, without intimidation. Oh, yeah. Again, you know, the, the idea of sharing and for a coach and an AD, you know, listening, because very often you're absolutely right. The athlete's going to feel more comfortable sharing this with a coach uh, who's ill-equipped to deal with it uh, than with a parent. But if that coach can do their job or AD and uh, get them to that next level of help, um, you know, so critical. You, uh, you talked about the idea of winning and uh, uh, you, we talked about this off air, but uh, I loved your uh, uh, section of the book where you shared some of the written messages that you would give to your athletes uh, as encouragements. And, and one particularly stuck out for me, and I think it speaks to the point you just mentioned, 
This was your message to one of your players. There are no promises and dreaming big is the way to go, knowing full well that things may not go your way. That is the risk we assume for greatness. Uh, do you remember writing that message and um, you know what yeah. you were thinking when you did it? Well, I believe I'm pretty clear that that was to an injured uh, star student athlete who was coming back and trying to be at her best despite the injury and the severity of her injuries. And I think that at that point, there's a thought that you should settle. You know, maybe I'll just do this. Maybe if I can just do this part, then that'll be enough. And so I really wanted the message to be clear that dreaming for the biggest and highest level is what it's all about. You know, the, again, it's that process. It's not an outcome, it's a process. And going after the highest level is, is a commitment to the process. And then of course, a commitment to whatever happens. You know, what, I mean, does it work out? Does it not? Um, student athlete in mine is playing professional basketball right now. And so, you know, sometimes it, things can really work out, but maybe not in the timeline, you know, that we so want them to. Uh, so I'm trying to restructure thinking there and take it to a better space. Yeah, no, just uh, great stuff. Very inspiring. I, I would love to play for you, coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've talked about, you know, your coaching career and, and certainly, um, you know, all the accolades that you've received, well earned, by the way. Uh, tell our listeners what you're doing now post-coaching career and, and maybe how they can, you know, maybe support that. Yes, I'm, I'm building a foundation from the ground up. And right now it's, it's, it's very infancy type of thing because lots of money has gone outbound in supporting Secret Warrior and trying to get the message out. So I become an advocate and public speaker and also a messenger to many different uh, corporations and programs and athletes. I've also been a consultant. I've had athletes call me directly and want to, and, and, and that kind of work has been very interesting and enlightening to me. So I'm coaching, I'm just coaching a very wide audience right now. And on social, I'm Coach P for Life. And that's a four, Coach P four, as in final four. That's why that four is there, <laughs> Coach P for Life. And coachp.org, if people are interested in me speaking and trying to help where I can, coachp.org is my website. And that's my speaking website uh, relative to talks I will give. And um, so I'm, I, I'm busy and it's a little bit more in isolation. It's not like I have an entire team that I'm leading to practice or my staff is just a couple of folks that I pay out of a PR firm, right? So, <laughs> so it's, and we're not all in the same place, you know, one's over here, one's over there. And, and so it's, it's a lesson for me in transition. And now I'm becoming a little bit of the expert of leaving coaching and what that's like when we choose to do so and what the process of change is there. You know, um, if one of our listeners wanted to reach out and, uh, you know, pick your brain, I know you gave, you know, a couple of the websites there, but uh, now that they're listening, okay, uh, what's the best way that they can just get in touch with you uh, and, and, and go and give the website for getting the book too? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, that all that information is on coachp.org and I'm a pretty good Twitter DM person. You know, people can DM me um, and reach me pretty much in that way and say, hey. I'm so-and-so, 
And I, I have exchanged numbers and information there uh, to allow people to get in contact uh, with me directly. And, you know, when I work and speak, you know, corporate America and big events and things, that's one thing. And that those monies go into Coach P for Life Foundation. And then there's the pro bono element where I'm trying to give advice to individuals to set them on their way and to encourage them to seek therapy and to feel good about who they are and what they're doing. So, I mean, just yesterday I was talking to a D1 coach, um, a former D1 football player. Uh, there's a lot of people out there in need and 50% of all of us now in the sort of post pandemic pandemic world that we're in have suffered from anxiety or depression uh, somewhere along the spectrum. So it's, it's not just about manic depression. It's not just about that. It's about everyone's brain health across the board. No, check out those websites and uh, definitely encourage you to follow up uh, with Coach P. Coach, it's been great uh, getting to know you. We actually connected uh, on LinkedIn. So there's another uh, you know, place that you are active, uh, but we're not done yet. Uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Mm -hmm. Now, you certainly know your way around an athletic department, uh, but right now I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, I want you to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. What three items are going to go in Joanne McCauley's athletic director toolbox? Uh, three things. Do I elaborate on those three things or do I just say? Absolutely. It? Yes. Okay. Um, the first thing I would say is know your people, you know, know how to motivate. So know your people and do the research to learn about your people and, and the people that work within you and they work, you all work within, uh, not, they don't work for you. They, you all work together. And I think that's really important. And be a coach's AD. And that doesn't mean favor the coach over the players. It means support the program by putting the coach in a solid position and giving that coach confidence. I think there's a lot of catering going on today to parents and situations like that. And I think as an athletic director, I guess my second thought is the proactive nature. You know, get to the problems before they arise, dig them out. And, and, and show that you're going to support the coach. And loyalty is something that can never be under, underestimated um, in terms of how you give that to those around you and that fairness element that you give. You can't, you can't change with the wind. You know, a lot of coaches I've spoken to don't trust administration. And, and for good reason when you see some of the, or hear some of the stories. So it's not a position you take and you automatically get trust and respect. It's one that you earn like any other position. So I don't know what I just did. I think I did four. <laughs> that, that's okay. I think four is probably the uh, average. Uh, I had one AD give me nine once, but that's okay. Uh, they, they all went into the toolbox. Okay. Coach P, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and uh, all the best uh, moving forward. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And I wish everyone well. For our listeners, remember the Zoom recordings of these interviews are also being uploaded to the Educational AD Podcast YouTube channel. Thanks for listening today. 
Come back again next time for another episode of the Educational AD.